Welcome to Financial Frameworks, Learning, Thinking, Deciding, and Acting, a podcast that is dedicated to increasing your clarity about making financial decisions so that you make better decisions and you get better results. Before we start, I'd like you to answer two questions. First, would I like to make financial decisions with more confidence? Decisions like, how do I invest safely? Do I invest in property that's going to keep rising in value, as I believe, or stocks or something else? The second question, would I like to be more in charge rather than accepting what someone tells me or advises me to do and simply hope that it's right? If you answered yes to one of the questions, then keep listening. If you're not sure, think about it and come back later. Your time is valuable and you should spend it well. Good financial decisions sometimes just happen, but more often than not, they are the result of disciplined thinking, of having a framework and examining alternatives. Our purpose here is to build an analytical framework and within that, a plan that will produce solid decisions for you to reach your financial and personal goals. Every plan is different, but most contain the same core elements. Most importantly, with a framework, you build a repeating process so that you work faster and create pathways to build additional knowledge. Before going any further, let me tell you why I believe a framework is important. I'll share my experiences that have led to that belief. For the past 18 years, I have taught applied financial decision-making to engineers and emergency managers. Both groups, like most of us, prefer choices that are clear. Black and white is best. Choices like how much fuel are my trucks consuming, how much does it cost to heat the building, or how many staff need to be on call are pretty much clear, mathematical, and linear. However, my approach to finance is somewhat like Federico Fellini's approach to life. The director said, you have to live spherically in many directions at once. So my approach to finance is similar to that. Number one, I examine everything, including assumptions, particularly about the future. For example, what do I estimate the cost of fuel will be in six months and what is it based on? Or what is the value of a backup generator to my business? Secondly, to include subjective elements of decision-making, such as a person's biases, which are often overlooked and they very definitely should not be. Finally, we will fit the concepts to your situations and problems so that you can apply the tools very quickly. This is opposed to presenting some formulas and numbers, maybe with a context, but largely not, no assumptions, no understanding of your situation, and expecting you to intuit the nuances of applying these tools to what you know. Knowledge is great, but how good is it if you can't use it? In addition to feedback from my students that this approach was working, I came to this conclusion through my work in a Fortune 100 financial services company, my work in the public sector at a New York City agency, and through my own business. My degrees in public administration and education are part of it, But I think the greatest awareness came from watching people I knew well spending their money in my parents' small-town drugstore in Iowa. The drugstore had a soda fountain, a penny candy counter, and was also the bus station. We sold paint and wallpaper, liniment, lipsticks, cigars, greeting cards, and gift items. I saw people whose circumstances I understood weighing what they could afford or couldn't as they asked themselves, How will I pay for medicine that I need for a last-minute Christmas gift for a family member that I want? 
I saw and felt the complexity of these individuals making purchases that needed to fit within their values and their unique situations. I saw unspoken frameworks that worked and some that didn't, and drew the conclusion that finance is very personal. We will do three things in this first podcast. Number one, outline what a financial framework looks like. And if you find this interesting and are willing to do some work, you have to build your own. We will begin building frameworks together. Second, we will outline three frameworks at a high level. Those frameworks are number one, a cash flow framework, number two, Berkshire Hathaway's investment framework, and number three, my very basic financial touchstone framework that I use all the time. Third, we will apply one of the frameworks to two specific questions. An investment question, secondly, comparing options for acquiring an automobile. I will tell you again that what we cover in these podcasts should be immediately or very quickly useful to you. Part of my commentary will also discuss how people learn and what often works best for them. Okay, number one, the financial framework. The financial framework we will build contains three sets of building blocks, concepts, tools, and actions. Concepts such as profitability or return on investment or margin of safety. Analytical tools are things that you use to apply the concepts. How to measure return on investment, how to measure margin of safety. Third, concrete actions or implementing the framework are specific tasks that occur when the concepts and analytical tools are applied and you are examining alternative investments within your framework criteria or deciding how much to spend on a first home. Concrete actions are specific, the data is specific. The concepts and tools structure the analysis, the data and the issue at hand are specific and unique. You need all three. Understanding that one is approaching a financial problem or opportunity with a toolkit containing concepts, analytical methods, and data elements is helpful in making an investment choice or figuring out real estate preferences, for example, because the discussion is focused on the process, the data, and the math, which in turn supports a review of all parties' values and perspectives. Why is this important? To achieve a successful decision, all elements must be considered and all the decision makers involved need to be satisfied or at least accepting both the process and the decision. Maybe the purchase or investment has been made or not, but in order to occur successfully within a framework, which is what will cause you to be smarter about making the next choice, awareness of all three elements, the concepts, the tools, and the data need to be clearly present because they make up the framework. So let me reiterate what we're going to do in this first podcast. Number one, describe in further detail what a financial framework looks like. Number two, outline why and how having a framework will make a difference. Number three, define some core financial metrics that need to be in the framework. Number four, outline three framework examples at a high level and apply one to two distinct financial problems. You will work along with me on that. I will ask you questions because we learn best by doing and this way you start building your own framework. Finally, we'll review what we've done and set the stage for the next steps in learning the next podcast. To create the learning by doing process, this podcast will include questions for you to apply the concepts so that you can decide what works for you and what doesn't. For a concept or tool to be useful, it not only has to be technically correct, the tool has to be something that makes sense, that you will use and you will be interested in applying and building on as you explore and learn more. Okay, the framework in greater detail. I've outlined in a very high level what our financial framework will look like. Now let's put it in context because you need to know what you know. 
The useful definition of a framework is that it is a structure of parts or ideas and concepts that are fit together in a united way. The key is that a framework contains many elements so that a problem can be looked at from different perspectives while being solved in an organized way. Keynesian economics is a framework. The scientific method is a framework. The American legal system and its subsections, like property law, are frameworks. Frameworks that work best, in my experience, are interdisciplinary. They take ideas from economics, from practical experience, from business disciplines, like real estate, political theory, and science, and all of these are brought together to solve a problem and make a decision. Very often, they're brought from your personal experience, because that has depth. A good example of a common framework that we all use is a cash flow tracking system. We may not call it that because we use it informally, but if I were teaching it, I would call it that, and I would link it to your income statement. You keep track of what money's come in and what goes out of your checking account and your savings account. If you do a good job of counting each transaction only once and don't miss anything, you're using a cash flow framework that is a sound income management system and, in Charles Dickens' words, produces happiness. Dickens said, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 1919 and 6, result happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 20 pounds, ought and 6, result misery. That is from David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And Mr. Dickens knew of what he was speaking. He was talking about personal experience. This system works because it is useful. You need it to not overspend, and it's clear. By clear, I mean that you can measure inputs and outputs, how you measure success or failure, and that clarity includes your values. Another clear example of a framework that we will return to in future podcasts, because it is both conceptually simple and it is powerful, is the framework that Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have said that they, Berkshire Hathaway, use to evaluate investments. It only has four parts, and Munger has said that he and Buffett always use this when investing. Their criteria for investing are, one, the business has to be understandable to them. Two, the business has to have what they call a durable competitive advantage. Coca-Cola has one because of its size and its brand. Number three, management needs to be good and have integrity. Number four, the investment has to be at the right price. Buffett and Munger have combined their values with business metrics. They've done it in a measurable and a repeatable way, and it is a framework. There are several Buffett-Munger videos on YouTube. My favorite, which I recommend, is entitled Charlie Munger Reveals Secrets to Getting Rich, particularly the segment between minute 6 and 7.12. He describes these four criteria there. The rest of the video is also interesting particularly if you like sarcasm. So there are two of the frameworks, cash flow and Berkshire Hathaway's investment criteria. I will introduce the third framework by sharing with you the most frequently asked question from my adult students over my 18 years of teaching. It was, where do I start? I want to make sound investments. I want to save. Where do I start? And some of the individuals asking the question had, in fact, already started, but they didn't feel confident or felt that they had not really started. This framework is a great starting point. It is so fundamental that some of my friends call it rudimentary. But like Ben Franklin's criteria for making choices, that was a piece of paper with two columns, pros on one side and cons on the other, it works for me and I can build on it and adapt it to every financial decision that I make. We will return to this concept repeatedly. The simple framework is to compare what something costs with what it is worth. Cost is what you pay for something, and worth is the value the object provides you with. It gives you money, saves time, 
provide satisfaction, increases safety, anything that can be shown to be of value to. And this is really the essence of finance, cost versus worth. Before applying this framework to our first example, a word about the importance of being clear and measuring costs and value. Being clear about what, some co- something, what something costs and what it is worth is absolutely critical. Am I saving enough? Am I spending too much? What do I think next year will look like? These are questions that ask for quantitative answers, but the importance of the numbers depends on your perspective. Most of us make assessments, but informally and not in a disciplined way. When making financial decisions, being as clear as possible about subjective matters as well as quantifiable variables is essential. Understanding what values, and particularly biases, such as one's confirmation bias that causes me to look for information by reading what I already agree with, those come into play and provide being aware of this bias provides a person with an edge that not everyone else has when making a decision. It is a type of competitive advantage. It's hard work, but figuring out what you know right now about money or real estate or buying a house or whatever it is, and then following that by creating a list of clear questions to figure out what you need to know further is hard work, and it's not easy to measure things, but it results in extraordinary clarity. With financial decision-making, clarity regarding applying a concept to data is essential. And if you want to increase your skill, you will actively start tracking what you are learning, how you're using what you're learning, and you'll keep that in a written form. You don't need to know everything, but you do need to know what's useful and how you're using it. Being clear in simplicity means making things measurable. Now let's look at two examples of cost versus worth. And first, we'll look at investing in a stock. Let's assume that you understand or are interested in the automotive world. You think electronic vehicles will grow in the near future and long term and are considering investing $2,000. Your top candidates are Ford Motor, Tesla, and Rivian. Applying the framework of cost versus worth, we find that the price of Ford stock, a close of business January 7th, 2022 was $24.44. Tesla closed at $1,026.96 and Rivian at $86.28. I'm using January 7th data here deliberately. Prices have changed since January 7th and this podcast, and we can learn from those differences. We can learn from the process of change that occurred between January 7th and today. So now we know what the cost is. On a side note, we will discuss information and resources in greater detail in podcast two, but these prices came from Yahoo Finance, which is a reliable, easy-to-use, no-cost source of data that has depth and breadth. Okay, so we've got the cost side of the equation. Now, what is each stock worth to you or me? In other words, if we invest $2,000, how much more will we get back and how long will it take? Are you shooting for a 5, a 10, or a 20% annual return? Our return will depend on the price of the stock increasing and any dividends that each company pays. Both of those actions will depend in turn on each company being successful in selling what they make at a profit. Customers will need to like and want their products, whether it is the highly successful Ford F-150 truck, Tesla's electronic cars, or Rivian's startlingly styled R1T truck or sleek R1S SUV. Okay, back to figuring out measurable worth. We find that Ford pays a dividend of 1.26% or 31 cents per share. Neither Tesla nor Rivian pay a dividend. So we're counting on the price of each share increasing in value. 
Using what's called a value investing approach, we will ask questions like, how many vehicles does each company sell? Did they make a profit last year? Will they make money this year? What do customers and investment analysts say about each company? How much money does each company happen to have in the bank in case there are difficulties like a COVID-19 pandemic, a recession, or inflation? Having money in the bank helps a company weather difficult times and also take advantage of unforeseen opportunities. Your questions don't have to be the same as mine because each of us looks at the world differently. However, you and I will end up looking in the same places to get the information. We'll look at the company's financials. We'll look at what other people say about them. We'll look for sales, which is income. We'll look for money in the bank, which are called current assets. It's on the balance sheet. And we'll search the internet and look at sites like Yahoo Finance, MarketWatch, Bloomberg, or the research section of your 401k or brokerage account, if you already have one. Uh, Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab, Robinhood, they all provide a lot of information. I tend to use Yahoo Finance because it's quick and it has depth, both historical and current financial information. It is always preferable, when possible, to compare companies' annual performances by using a complete year's data. I'm using the 2021 data for Ford and Tesla because their entire year's data has been published in their annual report in their fourth quarter earnings, their 10K. Rivian's 2021 data will be available on March 10th. And while I would like to have the full year's data, because Rivian is in such a different situation, it's really just beginning, we'll see what the data tells us and we'll make our comparison. It still leads up to having you answer the same question that I want you to answer at the end of this. Looking at Ford's data, we see that Ford had annual operating revenues of $137 billion. Operating revenues mean those revenues and income that come from building and selling cars and trucks, which is what we care about, operating revenues. And in 2021, had an operating profit of $17.9 billion. Ford has $27 billion in cash, and they sold 5.4 million vehicles in 2021. The same data points for Tesla are operating revenues of $51 billion, operating profits of approximately $5.5 billion, and cash on hand of about $27 billion. Tesla sold 936,000 vehicles in 2021 per their financial statements. Rivian's statistics for the first three quarters of 2021 are revenues of about a million, an operating loss of about $1.7 billion, and cash current assets of $3 billion. Their press release of 1-10-2022 said that they sold approximately 1,000 vehicles in 2021. We've gathered this high-level information in order to make a comparison of the market valuation of all three companies. This will show us something about the values of the companies, something about the stock market, and will provide an insight into your thinking. Market valuation or market capitalization is what the stock market thinks each company is worth. The market capitalization is calculated by multiplying the price of a single share of stock by the number of shares outstanding. Rather than simply giving you the number, I want you to look it up for each company and write down what you found. If you're unsure where to look, start with Yahoo Finance. That's https colon slash slash finance.yahoo.com. We're comparing these three companies because we're interested in electric vehicles and all three companies are engaged in that market. Secondly, the financial and sales statistics are very different for each company, so this gives you a chance to look at very different companies that sell similar types of products 
and also examine your financial values at the same time. What do you think about risk? What do you think about the future in terms of worth? And again, you need to be clear. If we were to pursue this analysis all the way to selecting one of these stocks or another stock, we would examine these big items we just talked about in much more detail, and we would keep peeling the onion and continue to examine this initial set of data points in much greater detail. Since my goal is to engage your interest and see that you acquire useful thinking skills, I will ask you questions and you can send me what you're thinking regarding what makes sense or what doesn't, or you can send further questions and we'll take it from there. But please note that I will never recommend a specific stock to anyone. I will look at your thinking, let you know where you need to be clear, or I will say good job, and I'll give you the email address shortly. Uh, But I will not recommend a specific stock. Okay. Assignment two. Before you commit to a purchase and plunk down any cash for any of these stocks, as we said, you'll build on your initial assessment and you'll dig deeper into what will affect these companies' valuations in the future. So right now, why don't you take about a half an hour or 45 minutes when you have time and write down your assessment of each company and rank them as either good, I'm unsure, I think they're average, or they're poor. There's a reason for making this assessment this early, even though we have much more ground to cover before making a solid commitment. But it is important to your learning process that you take this assessment now. I recommend that you look at your prospective purchases operating profitability trends over the past three years. It's one thing to make money. It's another to keep it. On another research sidebar, Google is a useful tool for performing focused searches for specific data. This is important because it will be necessary for you to separate the signal from the noise. Which opinions or assessments seem to be accurate? Which are based on sound data? And most importantly, what seems to be consistent with your values? Sorting through opinions from market and stock watchers is not a five-minute exercise, but is not rocket science either. This advice applies to all types of investments, real estate, home purchases, comparing and buying a car. Anything that has a cost and worth is something to be evaluated with this methodology or framework. So let's look at our second example. Assume that you need to replace an automobile that you currently own. There are several starting points for the analysis. What can I afford? What's my budget? What am I willing to pay for a new or used vehicle? And what is it that is of value to me? Do I want one that uses less gas? Should I get an electric vehicle? Will it be based on safety ratings? Do I want or need a pickup? What is the identifiable value that you are getting for the expenditure? Again, cost versus worth. And there's the option to lease a vehicle rather than buying one. What are the financial metrics of owning versus not owning? A lot of questions. Basically, how do I compare paying a fee for five years and then starting all over again in the sixth year with paying a larger amount up front than nothing after a certain point? What is the math of purchasing a car with a loan versus continuously paying. Getting the purchase prices and the lease prices of vehicles is pretty straightforward. It's X thousands of dollars. That's what the dealer or the internet will tell you. But what if I'm borrowing and will be paying over time? Let's look at three different cost options. Number one is to pay the entire amount up front. Option two is a down payment and then financing over time. Option three that we'll look at is to lease with a small initial payment and larger annual payments for a fixed period. Because the dollars are flowing out of your pocket at different times and in different amounts, 
it is a good idea to make sure that all factors are included in assembling the costs. Include the purchase amount, interest paid, allocated amounts for maintenance, etc. In the simplest terms, option one, purchasing will use a Ford Explorer XLT without all the bells and whistles because there's a lot on them out there. The cost will probably be between thirty-eight and 41000 This is a very base model. I understand that they go up in a hurry, but let's just use that. For this example, let's assume that the SUV is bought today with today's dollars. That's option one. We'll compare it to option three, a lease. However, we will include a factor that most people not trained in finance don't include, a comparison of dollars spent today with dollars spent next year, with dollars spent five years from now, the time value of money. The techniques of calculating present value and future value solve the comparison problem by bringing all of the costs back to today's dollars. This technique doesn't address your personal preferences of owning versus leasing or the value of owning for a long time or a new car, having a new car frequently, but it does allow you to make a comparison of dollars today, apples to apples, so that you have a sense of the costs side by side before you get to the worth. William James once said that it is a mark of an intelligent person if he or she can hold two competing or contradictory ideas at the same time and apply them. Using hypothetical example of a 48-month lease for option three for a Ford Explorer, you would pay 2000 down and enter into a contract to pay $5,772 each year for the next four years. That is allowing 12,000 miles per year. And this is from the Ford Motor website. Here's the competing ideas part. For that fourth year, you will pay Ford Motor $5,772. But what is that $5,772 worth in today's dollars if inflation is 6% for the next four years? The inflation rate of 6% causes that 5772 to have a purchasing power of $4,572.31 four years from now. The inflation will have eroded what a dollar can purchase by 21%. Today's dollar, in essence, is worth 79 cents four years from now. Worth here means that it has 79 cents worth of purchasing power. In practical terms, another way to look at this is that prices will go up, and instead of you having a dollar to spend, you only have 79 cents. The question then becomes, should I purchase something today because I will spend more on it later on, or since the fixed payment four years from now will be less than an inflated lease payment that initiates them, should I commit to the lease now because I'm getting a discounted deal? These questions show that the numbers, the cost, set the stage for the worth and value questions. There are themes to people's financial thinking, risk preferences, but each person's approach is slightly unique. Spending money is a very personal process. So now let's look again at the worst side of the equation. Figuring out costs and comparing costs asks people to ask the core question, what do I really want? Do I want no payments five years from now? Do I want an SUV or car that lasts eight to 10 years? Am I willing to pay for safety? These are value-laden questions that are set up by the dollars and cents cost comparisons, including the discounting due to inflation. But while these questions don't ask for the value questions don't ask for numbers, you can do things to quantify your preferences that take some of the mystery out of the process. For example, you could quantify your alternatives by ranking them, which is something I do when I consider something to be fuzzy. I ranking them and I assign values to certain qualities higher for more desirable 
and lower for less important. I will present a slightly more complex decision matrix, more complex than the cost versus worth, but still built on that in the next podcast. One of the nice things about finance is that if something works, whether it's simple or complex, it doesn't matter as long as it works. To finish our discussion of cost versus worth for this episode and to lead into discounting, compounding, and time value of money in podcast two, let's outline what we will cover and complete our examples with some specific questions for you to address as part of your framework building. Returning to our stock example, in order to estimate what something will be worth two years from now, the Ford, Tesla, Rivian, or any other stock like Apple or Disney, we need to think about inflation, what causes inflation, and what it will do to values. If we need to calculate inflation because we want our investments to beat inflation, how do we calculate those things? Well, there are standard ways to calculate compounding, things growing in value, and discounting, things in the future coming back to today's cost. We will discuss the standard ways to increase or decrease value across time in our next podcast, and we'll spend some time on it probably in every podcast. It never gets old. So, my question to you is to return to the stocks that we were looking at at the beginning. And it will also tie into our next podcast regarding future value estimating techniques. I asked you earlier to check on the market capitalization of Ford Motor, Tesla, and Rivian. After writing down the market values of each side-by-side, number one, were you surprised at the results and why or why not? Write down your reasoning. Number two, think about it for a while and write down what you think is the reasoning behind each valuation. The first question asked for why you were surprised. This question asks, what do you think is the reasoning for these valuations? Writing things down is good for two reasons. It benchmarks learning. It's good to know what you were thinking at a point in time so that you can see how things change and how your thinking changes. Secondly, unwritten history has a way of rewriting itself. If it's written down, you'll remember it accurately. Number three, List the source that you use to, for getting the market valuations. You will note that these are not complicated questions, but your underlying thinking may very well be. You can send me answers or any questions you have if you would like some feedback to my email at mlehan, M-L-E-H-A-N, at finframeworks.com regarding your thinking or any questions that you have. Hang on to your notes. We will discuss alternative theories behind valuations because valuing a business is a very valuable skill to have. You can also look us up at finframeworks.com, F-I-N-F-R-A-M-E-W-O-R-K-S.com. I will post answers to interesting or frequently asked questions there. Next time, we will discuss standard financial techniques for estimating future values and discounting by bringing future values back to today's prices. We'll work on some familiar inflation problems that you encounter regularly. We will also spend some time looking at common biases in people's financial thinking. The goal here is for you to apply these calculations and the Kentucky windage of your biases to a problem or an opportunity that you are looking at today. Learning by doing beats a lecture any day of the week. You will learn so much more. Thank you for listening and best wishes in your efforts to continue learning about financial decision-making so that you can live your best possible life. I hope this has been helpful to you.